This podcast is not for the easily offended, victimhood enthusiasts, or those who take themselves too seriously, namely cyclists, conspiracy theorists, personal trainers, and other fanatics. Your Hobby is Shit is a nerd-free environment which strongly discourages dickheads from listening. Authorised by Sean Woodland for Your Hobby is Shit. For a long time now, humans have invented inadvertently stumbled across and participated in a variety of activities we now know as hobbies. We use them for pleasure, to reduce corporate guilt, to escape the misery of home life and to help deny the grim reality that awaits us all. From the bizarre, obsessive and psychologically illuminating to the downright ludicrous, whatever your hobby, this podcast is going to pull it apart. So whack in your headphones, get into your hobby with a vengeance and prepare to be exposed because I'm Sean Woodland, and your hobby is shit. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Your Hobby Is Shit. If you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, get around to it at your leisure. Whenever you feel up to it is fine. I'm not your boss, you're not a hostage to my ego, do what you want. And when you're not listening to Your Hobby Is Shit, you might want to give Mid-Flight Brawl a go with Luke Heggie and Nick Cody. Yes, they are my mates, and even though both identify as men who drink alcohol-free beer, they're otherwise generally trustworthy and are both top-shelf comedians. Mid-Flight Brawl recounts tales of what happens when bottom-feeding filth board an aircraft. Okay, there's been a few questions rolling in. Terrific stuff. Uh, One I got from Braden in Mildura, who, among his other less... Intelligible comments asked, mate, am I going to have to listen to just you all the time on this podcast? First of all, congratulations on being called Braden and not being in prison like most of your namesakes. And second of all, my commiserations that COVID will have prevented you from having drunken moped accidents in Bali over the past couple of years. And third of all, no, you don't have to listen to just me all the time on this podcast. You can turn it off at any time you like whether that be before or after you see your meth dealer or parole officer. It's up to you. And finally of all, to answer your question less sarcastically and more thoroughly, Your Hobby is Shit will in the future be releasing episodes that contain interviews with fanatical experts in many of the hobbies covered in this podcast, giving the shit hobbyists their deserved right of reply and thereby an opportunity to put me firmly in my place. Sadly though, Braden. These excellent episodes may ultimately escape the attention of your critical ears, as statistically, with the first name Braden, you're a very good chance of either being incarcerated or in a Balinese hospital by the time those episodes are released. And should your hobby of shit ever get sufficient listeners, enough to establish a Patreon, you probably won't be able to use your usual bartering method of swapping Horizon cigarettes to purchase a membership anyway. But please, listeners and Braden, keep your suggestions and feedback and questions coming in. I thoroughly enjoy reading the messages that are literate enough for me to comprehend. Right, let's get into it. Big hobby to get through today. Very likely the world's largest collection of hobbyists. I've been gullible in the past. Who hasn't been taken for a bit of a ride? We all have. I've fallen for some absolute bullshit. In my defence, and probably yours too, sometimes we believe what we want to believe because it helps us cope with difficult situations. The diagnostic term for this is vulnerability, or as Donald Trump would call it, 
Weakness. Fuck me, have I been weak. I once believed a girlfriend who told me that it was physically impossible for her to fart. How's that for being roped in by the hairy lasso? Pathetic. Shameful. Hard for me to admit. There's worse, too. A few years later, I believed that a corporate lawyer come energy healer with dreadlocks could cure my bipolar disorder, depression, panic attacks, trichotillomania, a willingness to believe anything a woman that I want to sleep with tells me, plus other assorted issues, simply by lighting some candles, balancing rocks on my genitals, then retiring to go and watch a current affair in a lounge room, and then charging me $120 for the privilege. So don't worry, I know all about weakness and gullibility. Anyway, the point is that our willingness and eagerness to trust can impede our emotional growth. And though older and wiser, I'm still susceptible. There's a bloke who decided that he owes me a six-pack because I did a few hundred dollars worth of work for him. Generous, I know. And every time I've seen him over the past two years, he's reminded me that he owes me a six-pack. And I kept believing him until my wife said, You do realise he has no intention of ever giving you that six-pack, don't you? So as much as I'd like to think I'm no longer weak or gullible, on occasion, of course I still am, though not as gullible as my good mate comedian Emma Zammett. One of the very best human beings is Emma, and last year myself, Emma and fellow comedians Chris Radburn and Al Del Benet were recording an episode of a much shittier podcast than this, and the following interaction occurred. She falls for everything. Oh, I am. It's because I'm the youngest child. I fall for you everything. You do fall I'm, for everything. I, I was talking about brother. this with Sean. Well, Sean was telling me about this. You, about me. Yeah, you fall for everything. I am. You should go, really? Yeah, yeah really? Easily, you can push my button. What's the word for that? Gullible? Gullible. Do you know yeah. that's the only word that's not in the dictionary? Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It worked. I can't believe it. I just, so, yeah, there's gullible, and then there's Emma Zammett. Sometimes the bullshit we hear is so transparent that I doubt even the person speaking believes what they're saying. Like, there's no way the smarmy snake oil salesman and happy clapper, the right honourable minister for vaccine purchasing and part-time prime minister, believe this load of cod's wallet when he said it. Their Australian government, their federal government, is providing hope through a sovereign vaccine plan which will keep Australia right up the front. Did you hear that fuckwit in the background say V for vaccine? And how the fuck Bill Clinton kept a straight face when he said this, I will never know. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Fair enough. We've come to expect politicians to lie because most of them are power-hungry shitbags who reside at the pointy end of the psychopath scale. But our favourite sports people bullshit too. Usually it's to stop their wives from leaving them, but sometimes it's to protect their careers, marketability or their legacy. Here's some utter crap unleashed by none other than the king of vanity and formerly spin, Shane Warne. I can confirm that the fluid tablet I took before appearing to announce my retirement from one day cricket was given to me by my mum. Contrary to speculation... Saying it had nothing to do with the treatment for my shoulder injury. That still gets me. <laughs> my fucking mum. He came back from his shoulder injury in no time. Self-interest, it wins almost every time. And why wouldn't you believe a bloke whose charity donated a whopping 14 cents in the dollar to its actual charity? 
So everyone bullshits and everyone believes bullshit. It's usually harmless enough or something we've come to expect from certain people. Then every now and then we hear something said by a person we've come to trust and respect that leaves us utterly flabbergasted and experiencing mixed emotions like when I heard this a week ago. The most anticipated Olympics ever. Did you hear what Bruce McAvaney just said? At the time, I thought, the most anticipated games ever. I've anticipated every morning shit I've ever had, more than I'd been anticipating these Olympics. I'd anticipate ear surgery with a meat cleaver more than these Olympics. The only people anticipating these Olympics more than any other must be fucking competing in them, I thought. Now, I understand that Bruce is contractually obligated to promote his employer's product in as glowing a manner as possible, particularly as his employer, Channel 7, has attracted a shitload of negative publicity in recent years by becoming a mouthpiece for dipshits like Wayne Carey and bigoted inbreds like Pauline Hanson and Katie Hopkins. There's almost been enough bile spewing from the mouths of people paid by Channel 7 that you could be mistaken for thinking the bloke who owns the station might be a bit of a cunt. So, in view of the station's low societal standing, I was prepared to allow them the luxury of indulging in a bit of hyperbole. Nevertheless, I still found it impossible to comprehend how anyone could say, let alone believe, that these were the most anticipated games ever. It wouldn't have played on my mind so much these past couple of weeks if, one, I hadn't been bored within an inch of my life, or two, if Bruce had instead just said, one of the most anticipated Olympics ever. One of is the perfect broad clarifier. It's what they use when there's a poster with a picture of me on it above a urinal in a shitty pub where I'll be performing comedy. They read something like, headliner Sean Woodland, one of the funniest comics getting around. It means absolutely nothing, because we're all one of. Mark Latham is one of the nicest people in Australia. He just happens to be right down the bottom of the list, but he's still one of. I felt like Bruce had taken the piss, exploiting the public's goodwill toward him. But then I accepted the sad reality that a sporting nerd like Bruce might actually have meant it. Now though, a week or so later, I'm beginning to think Bruce was right. In fact, absolutely fucking right. These might just be the most anticipated Olympics ever. I stand corrected. My apologies. One of the good things about being right most of the time is that you rarely have to change your mind. But on this occasion, I have. And why do I think that an Olympic Games that have already been postponed once and that until I saw Bruce's ad on telly, I'd completely forgotten we're on, games that will be held in empty stadiums will be the most anticipated ever, even more anticipated than the first game, say, after World War II or the first Australian Olympics in 1956 in Melbourne or the Sydney Games of 2000? Well, I can tell you this. It has nothing to do with the quality of competition or competitor. I can't even name a competitor off the top of my head. Not only can't I name an Australian one, I can't even name an international now that Mo Farah failed to qualify for Britain's team. And don't for a minute think I'm not impressed by human achievement and watching other people push themselves to their limits, even if I don't know their names. I once saw a bloke on a footy trip shove nine 20-cent pieces into his foreskin, and that's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. But I'm fucked if I can remember his name. 
What I do know about these Olympics is all from clickbait. I know that there's a transgender weightlifter from somewhere who will be competing. And on that subject, I don't know about you, but I for one will boycott the Paris Olympics in 2024 if the IOC haven't broadened the gender identities to include non-binary people. What else do I know about Tokyo 2021? That's right. I also know that there's someone from somewhere else who won't be competing because they got caught smoking pot. And incredibly, it wasn't even a fucking skateboarder. But that's all I know. Even allowing for the fact that Australia is pretty shit these days, I can normally name plenty of athletes. What a terrible patriot I am. But no, the reason that I've come to agree with Bruce and that I think these games are the most anticipated in history is because, well, I haven't left the house for four fucking weeks now. I've been stuck at home with my wife, two kids, pain in the ass dog and two singing cockatiels for four weeks and probably will be for another 20. That's how desperate I am for a distraction. To contextualise that statement for you, do you know what else I'm looking forward to with great anticipation? The next time I see my mother-in-law and the next time I'm due for a prostate examination from my chubby-fingered doctor and the next time I see my mate who's been radicalised by QAnon and the next time one of the kids hits me in the nuts at footy training and the next time I sip from a beer can that I haven't put a cigarette out in. I'm stuck in the midst of a pandemic that has killed 4 million people. Damn fucking straight I'm anticipating these games. Anything that stops me thinking of bills I can't pay gigs I can't do, homeschooling, and how the fuck ScoMo still has a job, I'm anticipating like nothing I've ever anticipated before. I'm going to watch every minute of every single day of these Olympics and the thousands of replays. I'll even enjoy the commentary team's relentless jingoistic circle jerking and the insipid commercials. Today, I watched a plant flap around in the breeze in my backyard for two hours without blinking. Fucking oath I'm going to watch the commercials. I don't care that they're awful and repetitive interruptions whose sole purpose is to switch off our cognitive processes, allowing billionaire cockheads like Jerry Harvey to condition us to comply, conform and consume. I'm still watching them and I'm going to enjoy them. I'll also enjoy watching athletes from all over the world try to do their best without a solitary voice in the stadium to encourage them. I'll enjoy watching the winners flaunt their gold medals to some mask-wearing cameraman who'd rather be at home playing Dungeons and Dragons. I'll enjoy hearing national anthems echoing through empty stadiums. I'll enjoy watching the Opals play with Liz Cambage. There you go. I just remembered I can name an Olympian. Australia basketball star Liz Cambage withdraws from Olympics. Oh no, false alarm. Liz has either been arsehole from the team for being an attention-seeking pest or chosen to quit depending on if you source your news from Murdoch or The Guardian. But you know what I'm going to enjoy most? Not once will I be forced to hear any frenzied fools wearing flags as capes chant... Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! <laughs> Jesus Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! fucking Christ, that's terrible. Six Aussie! words, six syllables. Aussie! What a masterpiece. Look, after hearing that, if you've got a friend who identifies as a grown-up and they wear a national flag as a cape, encourage them to try and use it to fly from the top of the nearest high-rise. You'll be doing the world a favour. I'd support the reintroduction of the death penalty if it was sanctioned for adults who chant... Jesus fucking Christ. 
ScoMo tweeted it the other day before Ash Barty won Wimbledon and a little bit of vomit launched into my throat. That's the sort of inept, try-hard, confused patriot who chants that rudimentary, unmusical piece of shit slogan. A bloke who shits his pants at Engadine Maccas but can't remember to order 30 million doses of a life-saving vaccine. Fuck me, I once lost a job for forgetting to order a crate of milk. That I won't have to hear that embarrassing chant makes me anticipate these games like no other. It will be my lasting Olympic memory. And don't worry, I've got some great Olympic memories. Take 1988, American Greg Laganis smacking his head on the diving board. It was very funny, but he received a concussion and stitches. If that happened today, the softcocks wouldn't be allowed to compete for two weeks. Laganis jumped in the next day and won a fucking gold medal. Or the men's 100 metre final in 88. I'd just turned 18, so I'd started drinking and experimenting with drugs. Bloody oath I wanted to see what happened when drugs were administered properly to six out of the eight men in an Olympic final. An amazing world record is what happens. Ben Johnson's jockey voice is what happens. 30-year-old men wearing braces on their teeth and getting covered in pimples is what happens. And how about Flojo winning the women's 100-metre final? God rest her performance-enhancing drug-riddled soul. The Barcelona Olympics of 92. Who could forget the dream team? The multi-million dollar professional basketballers from the USA participating for the first time. They won a gold medal. Of course they fucking did. How on earth were Phil Smythe and Andrew Gaze meant to compete against Larry Bird, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan, three of the best basketballers of all time? They must have felt like they were playing against dwarves. The dream team winning that gold medal is like me winning a farting competition against someone who's been dead for 20 years. But nor will I ever forget Muhammad Ali lighting the Olympic flame at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, or Michael Johnson, the American runner, looking like he had a ruler up his back in winning the 200 and 400 metres. Or Kieran Perkins winning the 1500 from lane 8. How could I forget? I was sitting in the car at the footy listening on the radio with my mate Rusty Nuts and he was chain-smoking like a demon. My eyes are still sore to this day. Even though I eventually began to mature, so stopped worshipping sports people upon realising that biologically gifted people winning things that they were born to win impacted my life in absolutely no way at all, I still have fond memories of the Sydney 2000 Games. Me and my two mates, Big Nuts and Kenny, were drinking our way around America at the time, but we still watched Cathy Freeman win the 400 metres. Good honour. What an absolute legend. I hope she enjoyed it more than I did. She deserves to, because it was her who did it. But we also kept an eye on Susie O'Neill, Grant Hackett and Ian Thorpe in the pool, none of whom held a candle to the calamity that was Eric the Eel. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry watching Eric the Eel flounder through the water, but then I remembered I've got this mate Fonz who swims exactly like Eric the Eel, and we laugh at him. So I laughed. Fucking hard. It was very funny. This guy doesn't look as though he's going to make it. It is a funny moment. Now I am convinced this guy is going to have to get hold of the lane rope in a minute. The only television program Eric the Eel should ever appear on is Funniest Home Videos. The best of the best. 
Fuck me. To this day, I've got no idea how he made it to the Olympics. I'm all for a feel-good story, but not about someone who had as much right to be in the Olympics as Stephen Hawking. In recent games, I've been captivated by someone with the ironic surname of Talent winning a gold medal in fucking walking. Yes, Jared Talent walking like he was busting for a shit is an Olympic sport. Fuck me. Then there was the Australian hurdler Sally Pearson, British cyclist Anna Mears, and the American swimmer, perhaps the greatest Olympian of all time, Michael Phelps. Australian swimmer Grant Hackett, who went on to become a champion grand piano thrower, Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt, and Moroccan distance runner Hisham El Garouge. Brilliant, all of them. Which, of course, brings us to the most anticipated games in history, Tokyo 2021. The ones where I still can't name a single competitor. At the time of recording, COVID had just made its way into the Olympic Village and at least one athlete had tested positive. As the most anticipated games ever, I hope to fuck they don't cancel them. In case of the very likely event that things go to shit, I've come up with a contingency plan for the IOC to implement to make sure that the games go ahead so half of housebound Australia don't lose their fucking minds in lockdown. The first is to make sure that every athlete competes while wearing a mask. Participants in the new Olympic sports of skateboarding and sports climbing, they'd be at an advantage here, uh, as they're used to wearing masks when robbing people or committing break-and-enters. Swimmers might struggle with this rule, but on the positive side, we'd get to see some entertaining performances that might rival Eric the Eels. My second suggestion is a bit more progressive. The Olympics could be held over Zoom. Working from home is the new normal for many of us, so why not them too? Runners could go to the local park and get someone to time them, just not their mums, or at least not Warney's mum. And I can easily imagine watching some humongous Bulgarian weightlifter with an awesome moustache win a gold medal in the clean and jerk from her own garage. Shot put in the backyard could definitely work. The shooting competition might raise a few eyebrows if competitors tried to do it in their local precincts, except in America where no one would notice. A pissed Glaswegian would probably win the fencing. Rowers could use rowing machines from home, and if any of them are called Sally and need to lay down, they're already nice and close to their bed. The only events I can't find a Zoom solution for are the team ones, basketball, hockey, soccer, baseball, and that's fine, because they should never have been allowed into the Olympics in the first place, so fuck them. Some events would increase the likelihood of competitors contracting COVID, like boxing, So they could modify the rules by insisting that only people who already have it are allowed to compete, and that they also must be anti-vaxxers, so instead of fighting for a gold medal, they have to fight over a ventilator. The Zoom games, it's got a good ring to it. There'd be arguments against the idea, of course, but there's always naysayers. Times change, we move on. The ancient Greeks, they used to compete in the nude, for fuck's sake. Hey? Imagine if they were still doing that. I'll guarantee you that Usain Bolt wouldn't have been quite as nimble over 100 if his schlong had been flapping about as he ran down the track. Ian Thorpe wouldn't have glided through the water so easily with a keel to slow him down. Anyways, we're two days out now and it remains to be seen if these Olympics will get off the ground. Depending on how things pan out, I might be back next week with a follow-up episode on the first week of the Olympics. Or I might have something else for you. And Your Hobby is Shit is apparently into the top 100 comedy podcasts in Australia as I speak. And that, listeners, is on you. 
I'm now in a position to say that Your Hobby is Shit is one of the funniest podcasts in the country. Keep an eye out for some stand-up clips on social media this week, and I hope you can appreciate how difficult it was for me to say nice things about losers who drink beer without alcohol in it. What's the world coming to? Olympics, your hobby is shit, but I'm still going to watch it. Thank you for listening. I'll be back each and every week with harsh but fair critiques of shit hobbies. You can find the podcast wherever you listen to them. Chances are you already have. Be an upstanding citizen, do the right thing, and share the podcast with your friends, even if you don't like it. You can even give us a review if you want. You can find Your Hobby is Shit on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Your feedback is welcomed. Send your suggestions for shit hobbies in and I'll get to them in due course. For those of you with a penchant for complaining and whinging, you know who you are. Please do so in audio format so the rest of us can have a laugh at your expense in future episodes. Just use the Voice Memos app on your iPhone or whatever it is you weirdos with other phones use. Thanks again, listeners. You're a credit to your families. My name's Sean Woodland, and your hobby is shit. Okay, a few questions come in as my dogs fucking come downstairs. Shit will in the future be releasing episodes 